everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Amanda Borshel Dan here with our U.S. correspondent Jacob Magid and New York reporter Luke Tress. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. We have a lot to cover, including an egalitarian Kotel candlelighting with U.S. Ambassador Tom Nides, a tough U.S. stance on the incoming Netanyahu coalition, severe underreporting of anti-Semitism by the FBI, and a sweet resolution to the Ben and Jerry's saga. But first, a short break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. And we're back. Happy Hanukkah, gentlemen. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to you too. Thanks so much. And it's really in the news in the U.S. Jacob, let's start with you. Yesterday, during a press conference with Ukrainian President Zelensky, U.S. President Joe Biden made reference to Hanukkah, saying that it is a time when Jewish people around the world President Zelensky and many families among them honor the timeless miracle of a small band of warriors fighting for the values and their freedom against a much larger foe and how they endured and how they overcame. Now, we all know that Zelensky is Jewish, uh, at least moderately so, and the Biden administration has held a number of Hanukkah events this year. But Jacob, do you see this overt normalization of the story of Hanukkah and Jewish ritual as yet another White House effort to combat anti-Semitism? I, I, no, I don't think so. I think uh, Biden's got quite a few Jews on his staff. They uh, probably are looking for ways to relate to Zelensky at this time. Kind of ironically that he is not someone who really talks about his Judaism so often. Um, and Biden, a Catholic, talked about Hanukkah, and then Zelensky, a Jew, in his speech to Congress, only mentioned Christmas and uh, talked about wished uh, those in the audience uh, a Merry Christmas. So that was kind of interesting dichotomy. It was also interesting just to see how he was very well responded to at this uh, the speech that he gave to Congress, um, he, and he thanked Biden for the bipartisan support that he's been receiving, and he thanked ordinary Americans, which I think which is an interesting tactic in terms of recognizing the price that people are paying at the pump or elsewhere and energy bills as a result of U.S. assistance to Ukraine and just as a result of the Russian uh, control of the energy uh, market. But just like most things in politics these days, uh, this issue has also become parade of partisan politics. And now we got even when Zelensky asked for more aid to, or to, for the U.S. to continue supporting Ukraine, he tried to frame it as uh, an investment 
in global security as opposed to charity, but this is something that actually a lot of a growing number of Republicans in Congress are opposing、um, in terms of aid to Ukraine. So we'll have to see how that goes. So on Tuesday night, U.S. Ambassador to Israel Tom Nides attended a candlelighting ceremony that was hosted by the Reform Movement here in Israel, and it took place in the egalitarian section of the Western Wall in Jerusalem. So I wonder, was this some kind of signal to the incoming Netanyahu coalition, some kind of protest? What do you think, Jacob? Yeah, I think、uh, that's definitely how it's being interpreted by the reform movement. They're seeing it as some sort of gesture in su- in, their, in support of non-orthodox streams who are been pushing for a long time to have this egalitarian section where Nides visited to have it formalized, formally recognized by the government. Netanyahu's previous government had agreed、uh, in a major agreement with the various streams of Judaism and the Western Wall as well to have this area formalized, and then the the, the agreement was. Negated and, and frozen by the by that Netanyahu government as a result of pressure from the ultra orthodox streams, and now we for sure the previous government that just is now in its final days talked about possibly、um, moving forward with it, but never did due to also pressure from orthodox members of of the government. And now we know this next government definitely will not move forward with it either. But we're not just talking about freezing, the, keeping it frozen, but also possibly rolling back some of these steps. I mean, there's the Sephardic chief rabbi who called for the lighting that took place on Tuesday to be canceled, and other such lightings. And there have been ultra orthodox lawmakers who have called for banning non orthodox prayer at the holy site. That's been also talk. So I think I'm sure Nides has been aware of that, and I think. Recognizes his presence as a small gesture of support in their favor. He talked about being a reformed Jew at the, at the ceremony, and that got a lot of cheers.、Um, and I think the reform movement would like to see it as 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 a gesture of support, but I think it's that the amount that it can really do is quite limited in this in this scenario. Benjamin Netanyahu formally announced late last night that just before midnight that he could indeed form a government. And Jacob, you've reported that the Biden administration intends to hold Netanyahu responsible for his coalition partners. That sounds really, I don't know, ominous. But what does it mean in terms of practical terms? Tachlis. Sure, we've reported how U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken at the J Street conference a couple weeks ago talked about how the Biden administration will gauge the next Israeli government based off of its policies rather than its personalities. And I think that's what they've tried to focus. That's the line they've been using a lot since. That they recognize that there are these very far right figures like、uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir and Bezalel Smotrich and Avi Maoz, but they want to be able to continue this、uh, long-standing U.S.-Israel relationship. And the way they do that, they feel like, is to focus on Netanyahu, who they, as, as much as there's been a lot of struggles over the past few years,、uh, over the years,、um, there's still someone that they have a, a working relationship with, and they're still unsure of. What they want to do,、um, I think there's not a lot of meat of, on the on this bare bones policy, but this is a new aspect of it that Politico reported for the first time, and we've been able to confirm that they're going to be holding Netanyahu accountable. Meaning that in the past, I think you might have heard Netanyahu in closed conversations saying, "Look, I can't. My hands are tied. I have. I have to try to please all my different coalition partners.、Um, so give me, cut me some slack." I think. The the point here is to say, that, look,、um, you're 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 the one saying publicly that、uh, I'm the one. Netanyahu says I'm the one with my hands on the wheel. I'm the one、um, really going to be deciding policy in the West Bank, even though I'm giving authority over these very very important defense ministry bodies that that are responsible for policy in the West Bank. I'm giving that that authority to the the religious Zionism party. 
um, but still, I'm the one in charge. And then in Hebrew, he says, no, something else. But but in English, that's what he's saying. I'm in charge. So the Biden administration is saying, okay, you're in charge. So that means we expect, I think, um, fair policies toward the Palestinians and no excuses that this is just because of your, your right-wing partners. I think the other thing they're saying is we do have ways to leverage besides public rebuke, which is what we've basically used until now. In that Netanyahu is very adamant about wanting the U.S. assistance to coax Saudi Arabia to normalize with Israel or for a, a tougher U.S. stance on Iran. So in order for us to play ball with you on those issues, we'd expect also um, cooperation on the, on the issues regarding the Palestinians. Okay, tit for tat. Jacob, thank you so much. We'll go to a short break now. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. And we're back. Luke, so good to see you. I've missed you. Turning to you, we've heard a lot about the rising numbers of anti-Semitic attacks against Jews in the United States, but now it appears that at least the FBI and maybe other organizations are under-reporting them. What's going on here? So last week, the FBI put out an annual report on hate crimes in the U.S., and it actually showed a decrease in anti-Semitic attacks in the U.S. in the past year which goes against reporting from the ADL and a lot of other Jewish organizations, which has indicated a big increase in hate crimes against Jews. And it turns out what happened is that there was just huge chunks of the country did not submit any data to this to the FBI for this report. So relatively, Jews were still the number one targeted religious group in hate crimes. But it appeared that there were fewer attacks because, for instance, New York, uh, most of Florida, all of California, all did not submit any data to this, which is where a lot of Jews in the U.S. live. Around one third of all law enforcement agencies did not contribute. And it turns out what happened is the FBI moved to a new data collection system that required local law enforcement to put more detail into their reports of hate crimes. And... The system's been in the works for years, but there was a deadline this year. And it it appears that a lot of law enforcement agencies just didn't make the switch. And it's not mandatory, it's voluntary. So they just didn't do it. And so I spoke to um, the U.S. House Representative Kathy Manning, who's on the House Bipartisan Task Force on Anti-Semitism. 
she said they're still kind of sorting through what happened. They met with the FBI. They told them this needs to get fixed. But it, it, it appears that a lot of these law enforcement agencies ju- just didn't successfully transfer to this new system. So they're going to hopefully fix it going forward. And, and the reason it matters is because this big lack of data makes it harder to respond to this problem. It's it's just it's more opaque what's going on. There's there's not it's harder to allocate resources to different areas if you don't know where the hate crimes are, if you don't know who the perpetrators are, who the victims are. It just makes it much harder to respond. And as you noted, the data was not collected from New York, huge hotspot, Florida, huge hotspot, California. So do you have any sense of once that data is collected or if it would be collected, how many more hate crimes we would see? New York is by far the largest Jewish community in the U.S. And New York had about as many hate crimes last year as the rest of the country, which, which were not included. So it, it would have essentially doubled the number just in New York. And this, this year in New York, there's hate crimes almost every day, some, some months against Jews. So it's, it's, a, it's a big part of the data. So I assume that if, uh, if more data was collected, there would be a big, a big increase, um, which would be in line with, with what the ADL has found also, which was a big increase last year. Okay. But, but there's also criticism of the ADL's data too. It's hard to measure this stuff. And if you're relying on people to self-report and not just collecting the data from the police and other law enforcement, it makes it all the harder is what we're finding here, correct? Yeah. Like, for instance, there have been some surveys attempting to measure anti-Semitism on college campuses, but it's, all, it's mostly self-reported data from students. So it's, it's not a scientific overview of what's going on. Clearly, the situation is dire and needs to be kept track of. Now, Luke, Finally, let's talk about the Ben and Jerry saga that appears to have been resolved. So can we call it a sweet success for the pro-Israel camp or what happened in the end? It, It appears to be a sweet success for Ben and Jerry's Israel. So this whole thing started in May of 2021 when Israel and Gaza were were at war. Um, There was a big social media campaign trying to get Ben and Jerry's, which has this strong liberal social so like social responsibility ethos. There's this big campaign to get them to boycott Israel because of the war. And then a couple months later in July of that year, they announced that they were boycotting the West Bank. I, th- I think their, their words were occupied Palestinian territory or something. And it just set off this this over a year of legal battles. So they said they were boycotting the West Bank, um, Ben and Jerry's Israel branch, which is separate from Ben and Jerry's, sued Unilever, which is the parent company of um, of Ben and Jerry's. And then they worked out a deal. And then Ben and Jerry's in the U.S. sued Unilever for the deal with Ben and Jerry's Israel. So that's the case that just got resolved. It appears everything is is over now. Um, so the deal that's been arranged is Ben & Jerry's Israel can now continue selling. It's essentially independent to do what it wants. It just has to use Hebrew and Arabic branding and can't use English. But aside from that, it appears to be to continue functioning as usual. They said they were happy with this deal. Okay, bigger picture is this was the first time they attempted this, uh, a major company attempted a boycott like this. And it didn't work. First of all, 
U.S. states enacted anti-boycott legislation against Unilever and pulled out hundreds of millions of dollars from the company, which was a really severe blow to Unilever. And then through these lawsuits, it, they, the boycott just didn't work out for them, and Ben and Jerry's had to essentially walk it back. Um, in, in recent months, the judge shot down their injunction, um, seemed to have accepted Unilever's side of things. It doesn't, they, they didn't release any details, but it doesn't appear that Ben and Jerry's walked away with this, um, for, with anything significant. I think the real question is, have they come out with a new uh, Hanukkah flavor and either latkes or sufganiyot? Have you seen that in the stores? I haven't seen it yet, but I would love to have sufganiyot flavored ice cream. Yeah, because I would imagine latke flavor with onions would be rather disgusting. Okay, Luke, thanks for that. Jacob, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Happy Hanukkah. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.